Who were you before you lost your wild self? That's what we're helping you explore on the Tend Her Wild podcast. Through questions and tools around how best to listen to your inner voice, rewild ourselves, and live the most authentic life where we thrive instead of survive. I'm Betsy. And I'm Kate. And we're so glad you've joined us for this episode. Hello, Tend Her Wild listeners. We're excited to have a guest with us today, Andrea Belk Olson. Andrea is a trained behavioral scientist, a differentiation strategist, and a customer centricity expert. Those are big words. Big words. We can't <laughs> wait to get into this. <laughs> smaller words. Yeah. <laughs> she teaches executives the art and science of strategic differentiation through understanding customer behavior and serves as a fractional CMO for select multi-billion dollar companies. She's also the author of What to Ask, How to Learn What Customers Need But Don't Tell You. And she's an ongoing contributor to multiple major publications, including the Harvard Business Review, Entrepreneur Magazine, Chief Executive Magazine, and Rotman Business Magazine at the University of Toronto. She is literally a world traveler, having visited over 12 countries throughout her early career. She also serves as an instructor for the University of Iowa Venture School and business coach for the Tippie College of Business Startup Incubator. So we are thrilled to have you with us today and learn more about you and your path as a wild woman. Yeah. Um, so welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. This is going to be a blast. I'm, I'm really excited to be on and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, I feel like we've had many entrepreneurs, but uh, one that's like so focused in the business world, you might be our first, wouldn't you say, Kate? Yeah, because yeah. you're, you're helping so many other entrepreneurs be successful, yeah. I think. Too, so I'm excited for this conversation. Um, so we always kick off with the same question and Kate and I were just reflecting and we're like, where did that question come from? And we can't remember how or why it started, but it's really working for us. So we're continuing <laughs> we're with it. With we're it. sticking with sure. it. It's been really fascinating. So we ask all of our guests to start in their first 10 years, because what we found is as people tell us about their roots and their foundation and where they came from, there's always this beautiful through line to where they are now and their success and what they're doing now. And it's always sort of a fascinating, like, aha, sometimes for our guests too, they're like, wow, I hadn't made that connection. But we'd love to hear from you, Andrea, about just your early years and, you know, how they've impacted where you are now. Sure. You know, and you make a good point with, you know, that I hadn't made that connection. And I'll say that because I hadn't made the connection of where I was today from where I was not even just 10 years ago, but like, 20, 30 years ago. And there was a time where I was at uh, my parents' house, maybe, I don't know, probably five years ago at this point now, going through some old high school stuff. Okay. Mm. So it's like, you know, you see all the art projects or, or whatever things you had. And my mother pulled out this, this notepad and she's like, I thought this was something that was important to you. Don't know if you want to keep it. And it had been a business plan. There was a lady who had a, wow. um, like a hair salon and she was retiring and it was on a, a busy street, um, small, 
square footage. And a friend of mine was like, told me about it. And I was like, well, maybe we could open like a coffee shop there. And I had developed, like written out a business plan, done a floor plan, like looked at costs, like, and I, I didn't have any of those classes in school, but I was trying to kind of build a business then. And of course I had no capital, no time, no resources. Of course it went nowhere. Mm. Um, and I forgot about it. And then later after college, a friend of mine was uh, opening a tech company. You know, it was him, uh, a buddy, 10 grand. And it was like, hey, can you help us? Would you want to do this? And I was like, yeah, sure. I got, I got nothing else to do. I'm out of college. I'm still trying to find my way. Uh, and I worked there and helped build that business for another 10 years. Um, and then after that, I moved on to kind of diversify my own experience in the corporate world, uh, in global contexts, um, in a variety of different ways. But if I look back to that, those high school drawings that you can forget about, right? Yeah. It was just a, a blip in time. That, that was really setting the precedent for the future of what I do today. Yeah. Where did you grow up, Andrea? Uh, so I was born in Tucson, Arizona, uh, but I got shipped here to Davenport, Iowa shortly thereafter uh, because my father uh, worked at John Deere, one of the big ag uh, yeah. employees here in the area. Uh, my mother was actually born in uh, Brooklyn, New York, um, and you know grew up on Long Island and went to Manhattan all the time. And she came from this very different type of environment, kind of East Coast environment, uh, East Coast culture, um, you know, a, a robust family. And then my father was from, I wouldn't say the Quad Cities, but let's say neighboring farm towns around the Quad Cities. And he was one of 12 children. Oh, wow. Grew up on a farm without running water in the 1960s. Wow. Uh, so he's kind of this very mechanical, uh, analytical, get it done type of guy. And she's more, she's an artist by trade. So she's very mm. different. So it's kind of a Green Acres parental situation. <laughs> mm -hmm. But you, you kind of got the best of the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere, that linear analytical and then the creative artistic, you know? I, I hope so. It, it oscillates depending on the project. And, you know, one can overcome the other very easily. Yeah. Well, and even in your bio, it's the art and the science of mm. customer that was a good catch. Yeah, you're right. So. Yeah, because there is an art to it. Uh, I bet everyone wants it to be a science. They want it to be very rote. If I do A and B, I, I'm going to get C. But when it, when it comes to people, that's not the case. That's right. never the case. We all know that there's always exceptions. There's always variations. There's always different contexts. And so I think that the art side actually is really a bit more important sometimes than the science side. I love that. Okay, so you were planning a coffee shop in 10th grade or 11th grade. <laughs> that that never know. happened. So yeah. you clearly already had some business leanings early on in your life. And then tell us where you went to school and, and where you kind of started to find your path towards being this business-headed mogul in some ways. You've done so much. <laughs> It's it's hard because, you know, sometimes we want our lives to be clear early on, you know, when you're young and you're playing with dolls and, and you clearly want to be a doctor, let's say, and then you go to school and then you get your doctorate and you go on to medical school. But I think most people have this variety of things they're interested in and a variety of talents and to cherry pick one of those, you know, in late high school, early college and say, that's what we're going to do. 
is almost impossible because maybe you have a tendency, but it's the combination of those skills that make something unique. So mm-hmm. I went to uh, the University of Iowa, uh, didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, my mother, uh, as I said, was an artist. I had taken a lot of art classes. I'd gotten an art scholarship, but I, wow. I wasn't like her. She drew every day. She loved drawing. That's all she would do is paint and draw. And I just did it because the teacher told me I needed to turn something in. So she said, yes, you have talent, but this is not your passion. Mm. Your your mom said that? Yeah. She's like, it's going to be a chore. You know, keep it as something you as a hobby. You know, if it grows over time, then address it then. But you're not in that headspace right now. Uh, And I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So she said, okay, I'm going to cut you a deal. She said, I I need you to go to college. I know you don't know. Just check the box, get a degree. And then later, if something comes up, you can go back. Pick something that you're good at, that comes easy to you, and that's transportable. And so I picked communications and psychology. Because I was like, the people side of things. We're all all psych majors. (laughs) And communication. Understand people. Is in everything. Is in everything. It's not just marketing. It's not just sales. It's in everything. Um, So it was kind of an easy do. And then after that, um, a lot of the things that I learned was very organic and as you go. So at the tech company, and again, this is when you had to, chop up websites and there was like Netscape and Google eh, just came around. You know, if it, it actually wasn't there initially, it just kind of launched a, maybe two years later after that. So you didn't have all the tools and access to information. You had thick books you had to read on figuring out how to do this stuff. Um, and he knew I had a design background, so he thought I could help him design the interface of the websites and he would do the coding. Uh, but there's a lot of coding and development you have had to do back then. So I had to learn HTML. I had to learn uh, Photoshop. I had to learn Photoshop like one. Mm, <laughs> At yeah. the time. Um, there was some older technologies prior to that, that were starting to sunset. Um, but you, you had to just learn how to do it. And if neither of you knew, it wasn't like you could Google it. You had to go, right. all right, I'm going to, Look through this yeah. book okay. to go to a library. Can I can I make a confession? So yeah. I, I had to take a class in college because I was a psychology major too, where I had to learn to code something in HTML. And my brain just didn't work that way. And I remember paying a guy like two cases of beer yeah. <laughs> to do it for me. It's the it only time you. I have ever like probably cheated. I, and I, but I was like, I, I, it was so frustrating for me. So um, that's yeah. my memory of, of HTML in college. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, that's also true confession. Actually. Yeah, it is. Thank you Kate, for that. Not, I mean, yeah, it's, it's clumsy. I mean, JavaScript is more wonky and then you get into like C plus and all those other ones that I don't even <laughs> This is like a foreign language to me, and I I was a psych major as well, but clearly I didn't have to learn HTML. Okay, so you you do this tech company, and then I keep taking this on this trajectory because I'm always so curious about how people's lives evolve and certain doors open and certain doors close, and like what kind of continued to evolve taking you down this business path? I mean, did you reach a point where you're like, oh, I found my my niche? Sweet spot. Yeah. Yeah. No. 
<laughs> it's so honest because I think that's really true for most of us. Um, yeah, I mean, you want this epiphany like a movie where it's like all these these trials and tribulations. Then it's the aha moment. It's like, and you know, that's that's not reality most of the time. So for me, it was you know, ten years of building a startup. I mean, you're doing every job. You're young. You've got the energy. It's exciting. It's different. It's challenging. And then the the company started to mature, and it got to the point where it's like, okay, we're focusing on web development, and actually pivoted to platforms for hospitals and health systems, and that's what we were doing. And it became a question of what's the next step. It's like I can become a C-suite executive in this business, but it's websites for hospitals or web platforms for hospitals or interface. It was like, I don't really, it's great, but that's definitely not my passion. Mm. So I thought, what experience do I have right now other than this job? I need to go out and sample the world a bit more. So um, because of my tech background, I found and landed a position at a global manufacturer. So totally different. But, you know, at the time they were like, want somebody who knows the web stuff. So that Mm -hmm. was kind of convenient. Um, but that gave me the opportunity not only to work in a huge company, in a, I don't know, $780 million globally type of thing, uh, with layers and bureaucracy and politics and then different cultures. So, we, you know, I had to go to South Africa, Turkey, Germany, Brazil, Mexico, um, of course, North America, um, you know, the list goes on. And so now you're seeing different perspectives and different business types and different business challenges. And you start learning so much more that didn't land me on what my career was going to be, but I think it was a necessary arc to have that expansion of knowledge and experience to increase my basically market value. Well, and as a human being, do you feel like travel in and of itself is such a, can just shift you as a person? So all oh, of your travel. I, I would totally, totally, I, I wish everyone in the United States could just travel out of the United States mm. at least once. Pick wherever you want to go. But Amen. that yes. insight and perspective, you, you're getting out of your own bubble. Mm-hmm. And it's, we're, I don't want to say we're on an island, but we kind of function like we're on totally. an island. Yes, we do. Um, it's totally different. Like Europe, everything is so close together geographically, Right that there you know there's things like you're sharing tables with strangers and you're doing other things where you know doorways are smaller you know we're we've got all this space we can be we can be bigger people but uh they don't have that luxury and so their behavior changes because of just the environment geography that they live in you know not in, not even getting into culture and all that and the the intermixings of you know, Germany, France, Spain, yeah, I mean, keep going on and on. Yeah. So, and they've had a lot more time than we have. We're fairly young. Yeah. What, yeah. what I need right. to ask though, what's your favorite place that you've ever visited? Like what, what just like, Ooh, where I know did you that connect? list that you've been to? I was curious about that. Oh, too. that's hard. You know, I mean, th- th- think about it. There's, there's a lot of things that you might like and you might like it for that specific situation, purpose, and, uh, a context. So I would say I I liked everywhere I went. If I had to go back today and you only could pick one, it would probably be either Germany um, or Scotland, mm. I would say. 
Uh, and they're totally different in the sense that, you know, Germany, man, that is the cleanest place you will ever go. I mean, and of course the trains run on time, you know, I mean, everything is to the nines, um, but just a wonderful walkable country. Yeah. I lived there uh, for Scotland, nine months. So I, I have a, some affinity yeah. for Germany. Yeah. Yes. Oh, Germany's great. Where'd you go? I lived in Berlin. Oh, wow. Okay. I was, which Frankfurt. wasn't always the cleanest, but I still loved well, it. I was on the other end. I think so, it is yeah. now. I think it's changed since 20 years ago when I was there, yeah. but it is beautiful. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was great. And then Scotland is a lot more communal, you know, a lot more kind of, you walk in a pub and there's, you know, uh three piece, you know, band playing, you know, kind of this intimate feel. And that, that's a whole different experience. So that it just depends on what you're feeling. That even feels a little bit, Andrea, like your two sides of you too. Mm. Like your right yeah. brain and left the brain. Art like and the, the art business and the business and the logic and that's an excellent point. I would totally mm-hmm. agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So you appreciate both. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And do you think that's part of your success? Because I want to go back to something you said earlier about you feel like the art of business is as important as the numbers and the logic and that we want it to be logical, but there's so much art and, and you know, people, people issues that you're, mm-hmm. you're facing. Um, do you think that's part of what maybe sets you apart too, is that you understand that or acknowledge that or uh i would i would definitely agree with that i think it's still difficult though for business leaders who are in the day-to-day who are you know looking at making this quarter's numbers type of thing they have pressure from a board they have pressure from shareholders that it's hard to appreciate the art side Mm. Um, it feels like a maybe a luxury. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you always kind of default when the pressure's on to the number side of things, the science side of things. And it's give me a guarantee. Um, I want to do this uh, investment or effort. And if that doesn't pay back within X number of days or months, then then we're not moving forward again. Uh, when it that that really shortchanges a lot of ideas that just need incubation time, mm-hmm. uh, and so I think we just lose the the art because we're not giving you know if you said to Da Vinci, hey Sistine Chapel, all right, uh, but you only got like two weeks, and you know show me what you get done in two weeks, and if I, I like that, then we'll keep going. It's just it's that's not really a way to yeah. <laughs> I know it's a terrible analogy, but no, I actually think it's a great example. I I do too. So you kind of, as a fractional CMO or chief marketing officer, I would, right. You're you're kind of, you're, you, do you have an opportunity to kind of be that change agent coming in and saying, let's try some things different. You're, you're like a new voice and a new perspective walking through the door to kind of give them that permission to maybe try something different or look at things differently? Completely, completely. And that's the, the it, I basically like to call our firm a change agency because consulting is, I think there's a stigma to that word, but the the luxury, the, the opportunity that uh, a consultant or an advisor has is you're coming in without the baggage. You're not, you're coming in with, a fresh perspective and oftentimes drawing in from other industry perspectives that if you've been in a company for five, 10, 20 years, 
you start losing sight of that. Yeah. So it is a huge opportunity to be a change agent say, hey, what about this idea? What about this perspective and drawing new things? But you have to balance that with a cognizance of what the organization's workload is. So you can have the greatest idea in the world, but if they go, wow, that is a heavy lift, that's big, that's multiple years, we don't have time, we don't have bandwidth, it's going to be intimidating. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of get an organization's buy-in, and that's that's the art of it, by helping them shape what they see it could, could become, mm -hmm. right? And give them uh, a stake in the game. It's actually got to be really exciting to be able to go in and see the potential because I agree when you're around something for too long, you can't see it. It's just mm -hmm. like, um, you know, so my work as a psychologist, like if you're in a dysfunctional system, you don't know you're in a dysfunctional system sometimes until you get out of it. And then you're like, whoa, right? right. So what an exciting thing for you to be able to go into a system where things are running as is and you're the one who gets to be able to sort of see potential or new ideas or ways to direct it. Um, yes. And it's, yeah. but it's a double-edged sword, like mm. full, full candor. It's a double-edged sword because okay. it's like, let's say like being a teacher, you see all these children, you see their potential. Maybe you see some with really awesome potential, but you have a limited time and a limited scope of what you can influence. And then that child moves on to the next grade, let's say, or a company, a client, you know, you have an engagement with them and they say, okay, great. You know, we love the plan. This is where we, the strategy is wonderful. We believe in the vision. We're going to take it from here and use our, our people to, to implement ah. it because they, they want to. Um, and of course, you know, my policy is that, you know, I, I'm here through the implementation. Uh, but again, it's your decision on how much time and resources you want to use. So they can move on and maybe they don't see that potential all the way through. Okay. And so that's disheartening yeah, because by nature, some of these larger organizations, uh, the ones that are, let's say, have, have been around for a long, long time, have a lot of tenure, they have a hard time changing. Mm -hmm. They fall back. They kind of, you know, fall back into their own patterns. If you were, they relapse. It, it might sounds be a good like humans, <laughs> right? It sounds like we humans. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I would agree. I And I think this time in our history and with everything we've just been through, there's almost, um, because the world's moving so fast, these large systems are struggling adapting because there's such big ships to turn. Mm -hmm. And so there is, to me, at least, you know, kind of just leaving the corporate world in the last six months, I would often, cause I'm, I'm a little bit like you. I'm like, I, I, I'm a consider myself somewhat of a change agent. Like I like new and vision. I'm a visionary, like any skills thing I take. So when I'd be in big systems and you just kind of keep running into dead ends because it just, you know, it's, it's hard to move big operations. I found that I work better in a smaller organization that's more nimble and agile. And, um, and I think those smaller to mid-sized companies, are able to navigate these times better because they're not so just not so difficult to shift. And so I don't know if you see that because you're working with really big and you're probably working departments inside big organizations, but it, I think it is, it's an interesting time for these large systems and large businesses to navigate. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, typically I might start in a department, but usually get to the point where, 
it's at the the kind of C-suite level mm-hmm. is usually where the engagement happens because it's, as you said, it's so hard to make any change from kind of the wings or somewhere in the middle where you're trying to push up and down at the same time. Yeah. Um, but the the big companies are their own worst enemy mm-hmm. because historically what got them here, whatever they were doing worked and they've been successful. And it's kind of like, I, I mean, a, a great example calling back to the beginning of the conversation uh, about the the flood at the Mississippi River, it's a slow change that you don't see and you don't feel. So as the environment changes, the context changes, the competitors change, you feel these little pressures, but you don't think about them very often. And so what happens is that time starts impacting your bottom line. You see customer numbers go down or you see revenue go down. But you look at the past and go, we've been through that. We don't have to worry about it. And they're not looking at the big picture view of the world is changing around them. And so they keep doing the same thing. And they just have a hard time. They have systems in place that actually are kind of forcing them to operate the same way. I mean, think about all the technology infrastructure and and the the 57-step processes to to get something done. To upend that is, is a huge ask. Right. What kind of leaders do you like to work with? I'm curious what characteristics in leadership you find um, kind of the most engaging to work with and, and where you see kind of those, these leadership qualities as something that like, you're like, this is, they're, they're moving things because of these characteristics. I'm just curious. I, I think there's three things to me that, that are ideal. And one is, is optimistic. Mm-hmm. I think that, and it's and not meaning blind optimism, but optimism of like, you know what? Yeah, we can do that. Yes, we can get that done. Um, and maybe there's a little practicality around that, but they've seen a lot of leaders where it's like, well, that's not our bailiwick. That's not what we do. We've before. tried that before. Yeah. That's and, my favorite. <laughs> that is just so frustrating because there's no consideration for change. It's keeping it status quo. Second, I think is not just optimism, but confidence, or maybe it's more of courageous, but not to the point of willing to jump off the cliff. Like, we're just going to have a moderate risk tolerance. We're going to try new things. Doesn't mean we're going to stop everything today and change it 180 tomorrow, but we're actually going to be courageous in, in trying things and learning. And that's not perceived as a negative that's not perceived as a failure it's just kind of part of that process of of growing as an organization and a culture uh and then thirdly i would say the biggest thing that i'd like to see but don't see all all that often is that and the best way to describe it i would say is a a spark of joy Mm. that pervades everyone around them. I'm not saying they're like rah, rah and running around, but it kind of ties to optimism where it's like, I'm going to, to feed that into others. Mm-hmm. And those, those traits that will honestly going back to what, 20 plus years ago in the little web development company, when there was only, well, I think at that time, by then it was four of us. We had to be optimistic. We had to motivate each other. And when one person is getting frustrated with their HTML, like you had to go, yeah, you know what? 
we can do it. You know what? Let's take a break. Let's leave or let me help you. Like there was this engagement um, that was deeper than just trying to make that month's payroll, which was always a question for the first like five years. Um, But it didn't matter. You know, we were looking to do something and make a difference. Yeah. It's really an entrepreneurial mindset. To me, those are all things that, you know, entrepreneurs need to need to be optimistic. They need to have courage mm. and and they wouldn't be doing it because it's freaking hard unless they found some joy. So right. you're kind of bringing that entrepreneurial mindset yeah. into, into places that maybe need a shot of that. What is your kind of, when you think about your trajectory, like what are you, what are your, when you look out ahead where, or maybe you don't, maybe you're really good where you're at right now, but like, what are, where do you see and envision kind of going with your company and what do you guys see on the horizon? You know, that's a good question. And my answer might be a little uncomfortable for people, but I don't know. And I don't have a defined plan. Uh, and I'm actually quite okay with that. Um, and I say courage. this because, yeah. you know, as my career is gone, I if I had set a goal and said, this is where I want to go, and kept going down that path. It doesn't mean I wouldn't have attained that goal and been successful. But as you set a path, you are intentionally removing other opportunities and options that don't fit that path. So I kind of look at it as here's this step. And and going back to the great example of at the tech company, it's like I kind of could feel this was the time. If I had said, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to be a C-suite person. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to stick here because I already have this, you know, sunk cost in it. I, I would have missed out on all these opportunities up until today. So I don't really plan it. It's kind of like, let it happen and be open and have the radar up all the time for the next opportunity or challenge or unique thing. And you could might juke left and right. And that's okay. You're still moving forward. Yeah. But I think you get way more out of it than trying to pre-prescribe yourself. I love that. I do too. It's kind of, we talk a lot about the surrender uh, and Michael Singer's work about the surrender experiment and the success he found when he just kind of surrendered and the universe, things show up and yeah. opportunities. And when you're, when you're so goal oriented and so focused and linear in how you look at things, you, you do miss out on amazing things around you because you're just heads down with very specific kind of set of criteria, um, which again, to me is your, is your left, right, left brain, right brain, the artist, the linear thinker, right? It's this beautiful mix that I think actually we all need. Yeah. I'm, I feel like there's a, a very enlightened aspect to how you answered one of these last questions around, I don't know what's coming. I don't have a plan. I don't need to figure it out. I'm staying really open. I I just, I'm so, I love hearing that because I think it's a, it, again, it allows more opportunity. So what I want to ask you is, I mean, what do you love most about where you're at right now? What you've Mm -hmm. built up to this point and, you know, like sitting in, you know, what am I grateful for? What have I, what, what do I enjoy most about this current place I'm in on this path that I don't know where it's going? 
I, I, I think I can very directly answer that. There's mm. two things, freedom and time. Mm. And we might have a goal of what we want to do in our career, and we kind of plow through that. But what really gives you opportunity for growth, I don't care if it's personal, I don't care if it's in your career, is time. Time meaning I've got time to, to read this, explore this, do something, rest, yeah. do nothing. Time is a currency that we squander a lot and don't consciously think about how we use your time because we have so much stuff to do. The other part is freedom. And what I mean by freedom is having a balance of enough income and controlling your own costs to say, I have a freedom of choice to do X, Y, Z today. And to me, that is the hugest luxury that anyone could ever have. I'm incredibly grateful for it. And I put in a lot of time to get there. But to me, that's what I'm so happy to have today. And it's it's difficult because you you go, okay, if I want to maintain that, then what what do I need to do next to maintain that? But I think that's what kind of actually fulfills you at the end of the day, yeah. freedom to go see your grandkids freedom to go do whatever without being strapped mm -hmm. yeah i love that i do too so when you think about um kind of the last few years and how i don't know business has kind of navigated these times how maybe customer customers have changed and our our buying patterns and um the way that maybe we had to really get more local with some of our, you know, businesses because, um, and at the same time, you know, Amazon exploded. So it was mm -hmm. like this, this kind of push and pull with that. Um, what do you see as kind of coming out of this time? What, how has the last couple of years changed business? Do you think, and kind of our, our patterns as customers? You know, I mean, if you step back and try to look at things like a hundred thousand feet, and you say, okay, back in the 70s, back in the 80s, back in the 90s, you can see kind of this sea change where before technology, before the internet, you know, things were kind of very rudimentary. And then the internet really just expanded this reach of market and, and speed to, to market, and, you know how many customers you could get and how much share of wallet you could get. And then that kind of expanded very fast and big and it kind of crushed those small local people. And then it started to shift and it was, well, yeah, but what about our local people? You know, and, and maybe we don't want to give money to this big behemoth. And then that starts shifting out. So I would say that I think the next phase is going to be maybe a little more leaning towards community. So what's the natural progression there? It's like, okay, I care about my local stuff, but what about maybe the surrounding area or my town as a whole, uh, or what I'm doing at a, a local government level, you know, things that are really impacting me directly. Mm -hmm. uh, because the only other catalyst for behavior most of the time for consumers is financial. So if something else came along like Amazon that was going to give you stuff at a really, really good price and really fast, they're going to naturally go towards that. But I think the nature of people is that they actually really want to 
contribute and be a an upstanding member of society in some way, in whatever way they interpret. And so I think it'll go back to that until the next uh, crazy thing comes along. Yeah. I heard recently, and I can't even attribute this to the source because I can't remember, but that like women make 89% of the purchasing decisions. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is incredibly high mm-hmm. when you think about the the power of, of, of women in that, in that space. And I'm sure that number fluctuates, but yeah, I recently read that and maybe that's just a, a blip in time, but um, yeah, that's often in our household. I know a lot of times that's kind of my role, um, but yeah. And you're right. I mean, a, a lot of, I mean, think about, you know, health insurance, uh, well, maybe not like life insurance, um, auto insurance, those types of purchases, home purchases, you know, cars, big things where women, I think, have a huge voice and if not this, the sole decision on it. And, you know, I think as things change in the market and as leadership changes in some of these organizations where becomes, let's just say, more diverse than Mm -hmm. maybe the kind of simple wonder bread that we have going on, that that attention to those true decision makers will amplify. Um, But like the rising floodwaters, it is just so slow. It doesn't even feel like it's changing. Mm. But it is if you look back. It has made significant strides. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. There's a long way to go. (laughs) So it it is a, it's an arc for sure. And um, we're kind of in the middle of it. You mentor uh, younger people. You do some work at the University of Iowa working with business students, correct? Yep. Yep. Um, What's that like? What's this new generation teaching us? And, you know, clearly we're teaching, you're teaching them things. Um, What do you, what are you seeing as the up and coming energy of uh, these new business students? Oh, you know, I, I think we get tied up in kind of the the generational stereotypes that we build. Uh, and we say, okay, the Gen Xers were this, the millennials are that, the Gen Zs are this. Um, and we forget that when we were that age, and like you have to really sit and think about when I was 19 or 20 and think about your attitude and what you did and how you thought and how you acted. And honestly, it is 95% the same, right? They think they can do everything. They think it happens instantaneously. Uh, They don't like to be held back by reality sometimes, right? Like you don't have a million dollars. You can't really do that. Um, And they're optimistic. Like, yeah, we can make change. This is no different than every single generation that's come and gone. And the the future ones will be the same. Mm. Um, It's just a matter of, the tools they have at their disposal, right? So they have a lot bigger platform to speak up through social media, right? There, There's those channels. Um, they have technology where they can kind of build something fairly quickly. Yeah, because uh, they know how to use it. <laughs> right. They're not but, writing HTML. They're not me. <laughs> paying off the guy down the hall. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, so it's, it's the same, but they just have more at their disposal. So it does run a little faster. But... They, they still have the same worries. They still overextend themselves. They still, you know, go drink beer. They still do the same <laughs> things, you know, we did at that age. Um, and it's just a matter of, you know, helping them kind of along the journey. Yeah. Well, I think it's such a great 
service to give back like that. Um, and mentors are, I think they're so key to, to kids success. Honestly, I think there isn't really anything more important than having a caring adult that is, is spending time and listening and helping them sort through things and think about things differently. Well, it, I want to end if we can with a question for you. And we always like to ask our guests to share a little bit about or choose a door that they feel like is, was really their door into the world and of the wild woman and, and the path that you're on as a wild woman. So there's a few precious doors into the world of the wild woman. So I would ask, um, which door do you think was your door? If you have a deep scar, that is a door. If you have an old, old story, that is a door. And if you love the sky and the water so much you can almost not bear it, that is a door. And if you yearn for a deeper life, a full life, a sane life, that is a door. Is there a door that speaks to you? Do you think you took into being this outside of the box wild woman you know i guess i'd have to say the one that might be closest is door number four but i would say in looking back at those childhood papers i talked about with that business plan and looking back even further to um my my mom will tell stories about preschool and kindergarten and certain behaviors i think it was just innate and it was a matter of how do you channel that wildness, right? So I don't I don't know if that's something that has to be bestowed by an event. It can be something in our nature that we just need to uncover maybe through a door. Um, but I think it's there for everyone. Great. It's just a matter of finding the catalyst that you can then kind of turn on that faucet and say, wow, this is where my passion lies. Uh, and you can have more than one. I think Agreed. Yep, that's... The problem is people say, oh, what's your passion? It's like, I don't know. It's like you can have five or six kind of intermediate passions. They're not passions. They're just like, yeah, I like these five things, and that's pretty good. That's fine, too. Um, so I think, you know, it's it's finding that in your own nature and what is your own nature. Yeah. Well, so you, beautifully said. Is. You've clearly been, a, um, you know, this almost, um, I see you as like this, you have a helper part to you like I think about this woman whose business was going down the tubes and you're like I'm 17 but I know I think I know what we can do here <laughs> the coffee shop we will, we will yeah. or no the beauty shop, the beauty shop. And, <laughs> and and you've you've continued that through your whole life like you've taken that that spirit of like can do and you you go into these companies and you bring them a fresh perspective and you try to energize them around things and I think it's it's just, it's been your path. And so I want to thank you for sharing that because it's a really, you know, noble and, and fascinating road you've been on. And, and, um, I'm sure you've, you've just made ripples of impact. So optimism, courage, and positivity. Yeah. Was it joy, joy, joy. Joy. Yes. How can I forget? Joy? So, (laughs) yeah. So thank you for sharing with us today and, and being on the podcast. Thanks so of much. Of course. Andrea. Thank you guys. It's been a blast. Hey, and tell people where they can find more out about your company and all the cool stuff that you do and the writings you put out into the world. Where can people find more about you? Sure. Uh, there's probably three easiest places. Uh, one is LinkedIn, uh, Andrea Bell Colson. Just look me up. Um, also, I have a speaker website, which also has all my kind of articles and publications. Uh, I've written three books, they're on there. 
uh, podcast guesting, etc. That's Andrea Belk, B as in boy, E-L-K, Olson, O-L-S-O-N.com. And then also uh, our company's website, Pragmatic, that's phonetically spelled. I love that. P-R-A-G-M as in mother, A-D-I-K.com. Lovely. Thanks again for all your wisdom today. Oh, thank you. Today's episode is sponsored by Kate Moreland Coaching and Heartland Yoga. As a coach, I am an advocate for authenticity and well-being for individuals, organizations, and communities. Through my coaching work, I like to help you connect to your authenticity. Whether you're an individual, a leader, or an organization, your creative power lies in your authenticity. Doing the work to understand your strengths and acknowledge the patterns and rocks that are in your way is the path to well-being. Whether it's your career or your relationship with yourself or others, transformative change begins within. You can reach me at katemorelandcoaching.com. Heartland Yoga has been in business for nearly 15 years. I founded this studio with the intention for it to be a safe place where people could come and heal. I also knew that I wanted a business that fostered community and connection. So if you are looking to deepen your yoga practice, heal from physical, emotional, mental wounds, or simply connect with people who are like-minded, Heartland Yoga is a place that we would love to welcome you into, whether it's online or in person. You can find out more information at www.heartlandyoga.com. And now the amazing singer-songwriter, Lissy Morris with Wild West. Thanks for joining us today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Come back and rewild with us again next week.